Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, August 11th, 2023 edition of On Iowa Politics. On the podcast this week, the Iowa State Fair is underway. Schools talk about complying with the new state law that cracks down on certain materials. And make sure you stick around for this one, folks. Jared's story on two Siouxland men with ties to the atomic bomb. Hello, everyone. I'm Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette in Cedar Rapids. With me this week are Gazette Deputy Bureau Chief Tom Barton. Hello, Tom. Greetings, Aaron. We have Lee Des Moines Bureau Chief Caleb McCullough. Hello, Caleb. Coming to you live from the Iowa State Fair horse barn, Aaron. Exciting stuff. No better place to be. Jared McNeb, the Sioux City Journal, is here. Hello, Jared. Aaron, do you fear man's invention that they call atomic power? Fantastic. And Gazette columnist Todd Dorman is with us. Hello, Todd. Hello. So yeah, so as you heard, Caleb's already at the State Fair. We're recording this on Thursday afternoon, actually. We expect the podcast to post on Friday morning, but uh, the State Fair is underway, and the presidential candidates are here. A total of 16 will eventually make their way to the State Fairgrounds, 13 of them Republicans, two Democrats, and one Libertarian. Um, So let's go around the horn here. Let's start out the show this week by uh, just talking to each uh, one of our reporters. And let me ask, what are you all most watching for at the State Fair this year as it pertains to all those White House hopefuls? As you said, Caleb's already been there today. Tom and I will be out there uh, this weekend. Uh, Todd, you'll be watching, I think, safely from afar. uh, But uh, what will you be watching for? Well, I think you know, one of the great traditions is when they escort all of the candidates into the uh, the show arena and walk them around past the judges and and, you know, just try to get a get a sense of, you know, what which which, you know, what kind of leadership they would be. So it's <laughs> it's always a great tradition. It's always, you know, heartbreaking for the losers. And they got to uh, they got to stand up on their haunches at one point. They do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, they, you know, they, they they pat them down a little bit, check the, you know, look at their teeth. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it's a, it's not, it's scientific for, to a large extent. Uh, actually, actually, I mean, I guess, you know, Trump, Trump coming to the fair on Saturday is always, you know, that he, he's kind of a never a dull moment kind of candidate. So, and he, he's not one of those candidates that has like, you know, they say the common touch that he can, you know, feel at home on the fairgrounds like other candidates might be able to. So there's always a, uh, a chance for some sort of, uh, uh, you know, mishap uh, involving him and meeting fairgoers. And, and it's also interesting about the other interesting thing about him is whether he catches any flack from any Iowans because he's kind of attacked uh, Governor Reynolds and, uh, you know, isn't going to go to her uh, fair side chats. Right. So and, you know, he's lost some endorsements and things. So it'd be interesting to see if he actually faces any animosity from Iowans at the fair among Republicans, I guess he may, he may face animosity among others, but uh, yeah. Yeah. And that, and to, to that point, Todd, what'll be interesting to me, because we don't have a lot of details yet is just how expansive his, wander through the fair will be you know will it will it be a tightly controlled thing where he's only going to encounter his supporters um or will it be a genuine walk through the fair where you don't know who's gonna uh come up to you which which is what a a lot if not most candidates do so um that's what's going to be interesting to me about his trip here and 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 as i sit here on thursday afternoon we we don't have that granular level of detail yet on his plans for his visit Mm -hmm. on saturday I got to think like logistically that they're not going to be able to have him just wandering around the 
no i mean there's limits to it just for the simple (laughs) fact that as a former president he's got secret service uh with him so yeah in fairness to him regardless of whether he wants to or not there's that you know aspect to it too you're absolutely right jared well he he has a famous appetite for junk food so at least he'll feel feel right at home with regard to the to the affair he'll find at the fair that's and and I assume there's all kinds of diet coke uh, uh, in the states. Yeah, do, do they have a do they have a Big Mac on a stick? I don't know if that's <laughs> if that's. Served. I'm sure there has been at some point. <laughs> I, I I'd almost be surprised if there wasn't. Uh, Jared, from, from from your view in the seats in Siouxland, what what are you interested to see uh, about the state fair this year? Um, first, really quickly, I wanted to take a a quick victory lap about something I said two weeks ago on the podcast. Um, Because I wasn't on last week. We were talking about the Lincoln dinner and I said the safe bet for who might go over on their time limit would be a second or third tier polling candidate. And sure enough, Asa Hutchinson went over on his time. So I was I was happy to see that. I'm glad you brought that up. I wasn't on last week either, and I didn't know whether you guys had talked about it. But I, for some reason, I came across that exchange, and I was like, hey, Jared nailed it. So well done, Jared. Well done. <laughs> um, but yeah, with the fair, um, I'm really going to be watching for clips of and stories about um, DeSantis kind of making his way around the fairgrounds, you know. In recent weeks, we've seen articles about his campaign talking about letting Ron be Ron, but he still comes across as awkward and stiff in some of these videos where he's talking to everyday people. Like, I think it was in Wayne County, he was asking a kid about an icy and saying there's a lot of sugar in that. And the Iowa State Fair is like, you know, turbocharged retail politics. Right. And that is not his greatest strength, at least in this race. So, I'm really curious to see how he wades through those waters. That That's a good one. That'll definitely be worth watching. Uh, Caleb, how about you? When you, you've already gotten a little bit of taste, you've been out there uh, on Thursday. Uh, what are you watching for this week? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's been a, it's been inter- the interesting day so far. Not, 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 I wouldn't say interesting, but it's been about as expected. Um, but I, I'm looking forward to seeing if anybody kind of tries to um, make any big splash, uh, try to take any of the kind of limelight away from Trump on Saturday. Um, you know, candidates are going to um, want to uh, get with, with the more than a dozen candidates that are going to be campaigning here. Um, you know, anything they can do to get a uh, grab headlines and, and media attention um, is going to be what they're looking for. So I'm, I'm curious to see kind of what strategies everyone plays. So far today, it's, it's been pretty run of the mill. Um, Perry Johnson was here this morning, first first event um, that that I covered. Uh, he just kind of walked around the horse barn and the, no, not the horse barn, the sheep barn, the swine barn with uh, Representative Zach Nunn. Um, did a couple handshakes, but but nothing too crazy. Um, and then Doug Burgum has spoke at uh, Governor Reynolds, um, no, excuse me, the Des Moines Register soapbox, and uh, he was flipping burgers. But again, not, nothing major. So watching out for that stuff. And um, yeah, if anyone kind of tries to uh, grab any attention on Saturday, especially. Yeah, that, that's exactly what I was going to say, Caleb, is, is you make that point, especially Saturday, right, with everybody who's going to be there. And there's going to be um, some real competition for um, attention, media coverage that day. So, so you're right. That'll be interesting to see if anyone tries to, you know, um, you know, do something attention grabbing. Uh, Tom, Tom we, we left you uh, for last and took all the 
easy stuff. Uh, what's left that you're watching for at the state fair? Yeah. A couple of things that I'll be looking for at the state fair. Um, I'll be paying close attention to um, the reception that Donald Trump gets at the fair and um, whether he gets, uh, it, it draws any hecklers or protesters and how um, he deals with that. Um, as other people said, you know, be paying uh, attention to um how uh, Governor DeSantis, um, you know, interacts with people at the fair, you know, if he's able to, um, you know, beat back some of the criticisms that have kind of dogged him in his campaign of being, you know, um, just maybe not as personable as, as some of the other candidates and, you know, a little stiff and aloof. Um, and then another thing that I'm interested in is, you um, the, the uh, questions and the discussion that um, Governor Reynolds has with um, the candidates during um, her fair side chats, you know, I'll be interested to see um, kind of how, how she treats each of the candidates and how she treats that, um, that conversation, that one-on-one -on -one discussion. I mean, is it just going to be kind of, you know, lobbing them softballs and, you know, providing opportunities for them to um, talk about kind of their background or you know is is, is she going to be i guess maybe a little bit more probing um i don't know we'll see um I, I believe the governor's office also mentioned that they had um crowdsourced some questions from from iowans and i guess it'll be interesting to see um what questions um iowans uh have or submitted to to ask some of these candidates yeah that that's a good one and i have that uh, question too, and and maybe we can get a tiny bit of an answer, Caleb, because you we had our first one uh, Thursday morning, right, with Larry Elder. How That's would right. you categorize, uh, you know, the kind of questions that Governor Reynolds threw it? Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't too unexpected. Um, I don't think she was doing any, um, you know, super hard grilling of the candidate in any sense. Um, uh, there was a couple times I noticed, um, you know, she she kind of the fir firstly kind of said, you know, give your um, background while you're running and that's kind of the general thing. And, and he um, essentially just went into his kind of campaign stump speech. And a couple of times she said, now that's a question we have. And he kind of went on and <laughs> talked about, you know, one of his policies or another. So um, I think, you know, that there's going to be an interesting dynamic between candidates kind of wanting to get their get their message out that they're used to, that they have, you know, practiced versus, um you know, having the back and forth. Um, another thing that I thought was interesting that, again, wasn't too unexpected, um, she definitely took the chance to, um, to, to promote and, and kind of and brag about her own accomplishments in Iowa, um, talked about lowering taxes, talked about school choice, um, and also mentioned, and, and you know, she said this before, but she said, you know, next year, we're going to come back and cut your taxes even lower. So that's a, that's a little sneak preview. Um, so yeah, it, it's a little bit of that, and uh, it it's hasn't been too unexpected so far. Yeah, it, it'll be um, the one I'm looking forward to with um, Governor Reynolds is is Will Hurd, um, uh, which is the second Friday uh, towards the end of the state fair and and whether she asks him about the the Lincoln dinner. Um, and then she he's did. doing. Oh, sorry. Go, go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say she did. Um, didn't really comment directly, but um, when she asked what, uh, uh, excuse me, Larry Elder would do as president, he, you know, the first thing he said was. Um, number one, pardon Donald Trump. And she said, okay. She didn't say, yeah, or no, she said, <laughs> okay. Um, and then she said, she did say, you know, two we have a two-tiered system of justice, um, kind of right. agreeing with him when he said that. So so there was a little bit there, but she, again, had, didn't make, say much about his uh, his indictment, yeah. his latest indictment. Sure, sure. One one other thing I'll be curious to to see is just in general how, um, how Vivek does, because 
he's like clearly in third now in a lot of like polling averages. He's started started to separate himself between the other people behind DeSantis and Trump. So, you know, these are the kinds of like weeks or events to to maybe even add a little more to that. Well, it looks it looks like oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just say that's nationally too. It, it seems like he hasn't made as much of a um as much of a head in Iowa, so it'd be interesting to yeah. see if he kind of tries to get that. Well, it, it looks like Saturday is going to be hot and sunny and almost ze- probably zero chance of a tornado watch. So, you know, uh, the former president won't won't bug out on that event. Maybe he'll have to find another excuse, but he won't be able to say that it was a he was afraid of the, the tornado watch. Speaking of inclement weather, Caleb is at the State Fair and it has not yet poured down rain. Is, is that Ooh. accurate, Caleb? So, so far, That's so correct. good. That's um, correct. Yes, I actually just, when, when Todd said that, uh, just pulled up my, my weather app, and it looks like there's, there is a little <laughs> bit of rain maybe tomorrow, or, oh, even this afternoon, perhaps, and uh, <laughs> oh, Sunday so looks like. People, we're not uh, out of the roads <laughs> yet. Not it's, out of the woods yet. It's going to be too late for anyone that hears this, but people get the hell out of, out of the state fairgrounds now. <laughs> <laughs> no, no it, it, to, to, to clarify it looks like it's going to be late tonight if there is any rain so okay. fingers crossed <laughs> yeah but a good general rule of thumb is if you see caleb at a big event uh grab your umbrella um all, all really good stuff the only thing i'll add to that is i've been and, and this isn't maybe necessarily state fair, fair specific but i'm kind of watching and this sort of dovetails off of a little bit of what folks have already said but um if and when the rest of the field starts being a little bit more direct in their um, uh, discussion of former President Trump. Um, I, I was talking about this with Caleb and Tom uh, separately earlier this week. And, and, and I said, to me, the, the polling shows pretty clearly that at some point, these candidates are going to have to not only make the case for themselves, the case for why them, but also the case for why not former President Trump, right? I mean, at some point, as he continues to be at 40, 40, 45, 45, 50 in this field, at some point, you're going to have to explain to some of those people why they shouldn't be supporting former yeah. President Trump. And I mean, the, the 2016, you know, primary proved that perfectly. If you're going to, you, we saw what happened when you just, all the other candidates hold off on attacking him. He just wins. Yeah. That's, that's, yep. that's what happens. And yep. he'll probably, he probably will still win anyway at this point, but you know, do they go down swinging? All right, uh, let's let's stay on the campaign. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Caleb. Before I move on, the last thing, the last thing maybe worth mentioning is uh, there's going to be some Democratic primary candidates on Saturday. Um, so you know that add that to the mix. Um, Governor Tim Walls uh, of Minnesota was here today uh, with the Iowa Democrats to kind of uh, counter the the Republicans' messaging, and he was asked about that, and so was Rita Hart. And and they, you know, they essentially said, you know, we don't. We don't have uh, much to say about that. Biden's going to be our nominee <laughs> and, and, you know, kind of moved on. So, yeah, uh, interesting uh, to watch. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be fascinating. Uh, uh, if Sarah had been able to be here, she that would have been hers. I'm sure she would have mentioned RFK Jr. and and uh, and Marianne Williamson. L- let's say that then we wouldn't have forgotten. <laughs> but, yeah, that's going to be fascinating on Saturday. And, and as I've said, and, and maybe I can't remember if I've said it here on the podcast or where else, but to me, that story is is as much about them as it is the reception they get. I'm very curious to see who comes to see them um, on, on Saturday at the fair. Is is it Iowa Democrats or is it actually Iowa Republicans who like what they're hearing from them because they're giving Joe Biden a hard time? Um, I'm, I'm just fascinated to see what the turnout is at the soapbox for those two uh, who go back to back Saturday afternoon. Good one, Caleb. All right. Um, uh, moving on, but staying on the campaign trail, let's go 
back in time just a hair here uh, to last weekend and Congresswoman ha- Ashley Henson's annual barbecue bash fundraiser. Uh, a number of these presidential candidates spoke at that event, in- including Ron DeSantis. Tom, you covered that. It was over in the Cedar Rapids area, obviously, uh, where Henson's district is. Um, did any of the candidate remarks or, or moments stand out to you from that day? Um, there weren't a lot of moments that really stood out to me from that. I mean, um, each candidate gave or had about um, 10 minutes uh, to address the crowd and gave familiar stump speeches, talking points, um, you know, lines that we've heard um, before. Um, I guess one of the most interesting moments to me um, was um, the um, applause and standing ovation that the crowd gave um, Vivek Ramaswamy as he was um, wrapping up his his speech um, in in talking about um, uh, his um, uh, ten truths, um, which if if you know if you've been to a, a, a Vivek Ramaswamy event, um, campaign event, um, you, you know what I'm talking about, you know, talking about how, um, you know, there are only two genders and, and um, you know, um, well, anyway, so it, it, it was just amazing to me um, just how um, receptive the crowd was and, and their reaction to that, you know, they were loud, they were boisterous, they were enthusiastic. Um, and I think to Jared's point earlier, you know, clearly showed that, um, Vivek is now, you know, in, in kind of a, um, uh, a, a top position among Iowa Republicans, um, you know, probably, um, you know, hovering somewhere around third place. Um, so it just kind of showed, um, the support and the momentum that his campaign is building up um, in Iowa. Um, and, and, and to some extent, you also kind of had a, a similar reaction to um, Perry Johnson, which I thought was um, interesting. Um, he kind of gave a, you know, Howard Dean-esque um, type of uh, uh, performance uh, on the stage, um, not too different from, I think, uh, what you and Caleb saw or experienced during um, the, um, the, the Lincoln dinner. Yeah, yeah, if, if you haven't, and, and that created a great uh, moment for us, if you haven't seen the Gazette's uh, coverage of uh, the Lincoln dinner from a week or two ago here now, uh, go check it out on your favorite Gazette or Lee website and, and get to the photo gallery. And, and there's a really good one of Perry Johnson in, in all his glory um, doing the old ramp up at the end of the speech. And then just just lastly, I guess the other thing that, that stood out to me um, was, I guess, just how, um, I guess, polite and receptive the crowd was to, to all of the candidates, you know, um, you know, everyone, um, you know, received um, uh, applause. I can't recall if all the candidates got standing ovations at, at some point, you know, for, for some line that, that they delivered. But um, I, I mean, it was interesting to me, you know, no candidate really got the, the cold shoulder, um, you know, uh, you know, there weren't any, you know, really kind of gas or stumbles made by, by any of the candidates, you know, it wasn't clear that, you know, there was there was a particular candidate that, um, you know, the, the, the crowd just wasn't um, connecting with, um, you know, which which was different from, you know, what we saw and experienced at um, the uh, the the family leadership summit. Um, uh, now, that being said, that was a different crowd. You know, it was a lot of 
evangelical Christian voters um, who definitely had strong opinions on um, certain areas and not all the candidates really lined up with, um, you know, their views when it came to, um, you know, stances about, you know, support for the UN, the war in Ukraine and um, um, uh, uh, abortion and gender ideology. But, um, you know, by and large, um, everybody at uh, the barbecue bash, you know, was, um, you know, really attentive and supportive of, of, of the candidates. And, you know, it seemed clear that there was a sizable number of, of um, at least, you know, Eastern Iowa or Lynn County Republicans primarily um, that uh, are, are keeping an open mind or, or, you know, not necessarily, you know, locked down in their support for one candidate or the other. And um, yeah. Right. Yeah. That's uh, we saw a little bit about that in the contrast that you're talking about Tom at the Lincoln dinner too. There were a couple speeches speeches uh, and, and I honestly, like I'm not trying to let anyone off the hook. I honestly can't remember. So I don't want to remember the wrong candidate and say the wrong name, but there was one or two speeches where a significant chunk of the audience uh, chose to stand up and use the restroom at that point. So that's uh, that's like during that's the the time during a concert when it's like a new song that the the old fans don't really want to hear, <laughs> or when the bass player solos in a jazz performance. Yeah. Yep. Outstanding. All right. Uh, let's uh, jump off the campaign trail now and and get into some policy. Uh, great story that ran over the weekend from. Caleb and Tom uh, about Iowa public K-12 schools across the state attempting to get in compliance with a new state law that requires the removal of any books or curriculum with uh, certain sexual content. Um, the law also prohibits the instruction of gender identification through sixth grade, uh, among myriad other things. Uh, those are some of the bigger ones, though, that schools are, are grappling with. Caleb and Tom uh, spoke with school officials across the state. Uh, Caleb, give us a little summary uh, of what schools are telling you right now as, as they're trying to get into compliance with this law. Well, there's a broad range of approaches that schools are taking. Um, some are uh, simply not, not removing anything, not look, uh, doing too much and, and waiting for the um, Department of Education to provide more guidance on the law and that guidance, um, which we, we're not sure whether that will come or what form it will take or anything like that. So they're kind of, um, Waiting, wait and see, um, hoping that there's a little more uh, clarification um, about the law from the Department of Education. Um, the There are other schools that are going through, one superintendent I talked to, they're going through their um, libraries, their classroom collections, and, uh, you know, flagging books that they think may be uh, in violation of the law and uh, taking them off the shelves, but but kind of waiting until further guidance from the department to make that final call. And, um, you know, that district in particular, he said, um, you know, if there's any doubt that it might not comply with the law, they're going to they're gonna flag it, um, which I think is probably a common uh, uh, reaction among schools. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of the, the um, range of, of issues. But yeah, many people want to see that um, Department of Education guidance. Uh, they haven't been super clear about what their plans are, if they will provide any further guidance. Um, and then, you know, Republicans who, who will pass the bill have said that they don't think that the language of the law is unclear or needs any more guidance. Um, you know, they're, they're saying you know, the description of a sex act is very well defined in Iowa code. If it describes or depicts those things, it shouldn't be on the shelves. Um, but, you know, as educators and, and school district officials have, have said, throughout this whole process, there's a range, there's kind of a gradient of these things in, in books and, and you know, literature is, is very 
figurative and you know there can be implications and you know does that count and and so yeah there are a lot of there's a lot of confusion i think schools want to see something from the department of education about um what exactly uh is over that line so sort of going off of that you know in florida there have been these stories about shakespeare getting uh curtailed at at least one uh district to comply with you know the version of the law that's there which is not you know the grand scheme of things that dissimilar from this and you know i'd be curious to see how soon something like that might happen in iowa because if districts are wanting to be as careful as possible those might be the steps that they feel they need to take just so they don't get in trouble with you know folks at the state level yeah and and um, i don't think shakespeare was on the list but we obviously we saw it already from the urbandale school district that was a big story a couple of weeks ago um they had a very large list of books um you know some of them i think people would argue including the republicans that um i talked to that they don't violate the rules um but they said you know we we source these from other other states who have similar laws and uh you know this is kind of a preliminary list as we um try to you know figure this out and then after that was publicized um the school district very um very much narrowed down the list and it's only about 60 65 books um now so yeah i imagine from it was like 400 or something like that well at first wasn't it yeah Caleb? yeah yeah something like that 380 something um yeah. but yeah so i i imagine that's the process that schools are going to take and and you know if it is up to the individual school district and kind of their interpretation and their lawyer's interpretation i can imagine you know situations where one school district removes something and another doesn't and then you know which one is which one is the right approach does the board of education have some way to to litigate that yeah it's a lot, a lot of open questions still yeah and and to be to to fill in any blanks if you haven't been following this story the the state education board or sorry state education department at this point has essentially only basically restated or summarized the the law for schools it, it, it hasn't provided any kind of guidance as far as you know into the weeds or details of, of what what that means when the law says this kind of book or that kind of book et cetera et cetera and and states are or I'm sorry, school districts are really craving a little bit more guidance there, as Caleb said, to to kind of help them um, parse out some of those um, decisions. And 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 they're not getting it right now. And 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 the, to Caleb's point, the, the department has been a little bit unclear. There may be more guidance in the future, but um, I, it, it's it's just very interesting. And it was interesting to me too, as Caleb pointed out, how for now different schools are taking different approaches to this too, which, which isn't altogether surprising. Um, uh, so uh, obviously something we'll keep monitoring. And um, also on the guidance, the, one of the legislators that I talked to, and um, you know, I, I don't know how um, department guidance generally goes for, for different laws, but I imagine this is true to, to um, a large extent. You know, he said the department's going to be going off the same language that the schools are going off when they make that guidance, right? I mean, the department doesn't have any further lawmaking power, so right. they have to interpret the law, but schools are going to interpret the law too so it, it, it seems like you know a, a sticky situation may wind up in the courts one way or the other anyways all right finally this week and we absolutely have to talk about this story written by jared again not not really have anything to do with politics but um uh this is just a great story about two siouxland men's ties to the atomic bomb so with the film oppenheimer enjoying commercial and critical success this is an even more relevant and interesting story uh, by the way, I finally did get to see Oppenheimer. Um, I, I'm going to see Barbara. I haven't had a chance to yet. Life is crazy right now. Um, 
but uh, I did manage to catch Oppenheimer and was blown away. Uh, pardon the pun, uh, unintended. Uh, but so, Jared, tell us about this story. Tell us how these two Siouxland men have ties to the atomic programs of the 1940s and 50s. This is great stuff. Uh, the uh, shameless uh, log rolling time, basically. That's all this is. <laughs> um, no, the the story is called um, the scientist and the spy. I, I came up with that, so I'm going to brag about that. Uh, and it's it's on our website and. Um, Basically, um, our area had two men who made their way onto the Manhattan Project in the 40s. Um, One of them, who's in the movie Oppenheimer, was Ernest Lawrence, who grew up in Canton, South Dakota, which is about 70 miles from Sioux City. And um, he went to the University of South Dakota, which is even closer to Sioux City. And he, um, for people who don't know, won the Nobel Prize in Physics. Um, Like I said, made it onto the Manhattan Project. And then the other who was from Sioux City, um, graduated from high school in Sioux City at the age of 15 uh, in 1929, was George Koval, who became a spy for the Soviet Union after he uh, moved back there with his parents, who had actually fled uh, Russia like two decades earlier to escape anti-Semitic violence. So his parents fled Russia. Um, They raised uh, their son and a couple other sons in Sioux City, and then eventually they went back to the Soviet Union, and then eventually George Koval became a, a spy for the Soviet Union, uh, made his way back over here, and uh, made his way onto the Manhattan Project uh, as a Soviet uh, spy. And, and isn't yeah. that that's fascinating stuff? I, I'm I'm sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to ask you, Jared, how tell us a little bit about the the process of reporting that story and and. You know, how, how you came across that and how you got your information. Tell us a little about that. So um, I'm actually kind of glad I dithered with this as long as I did, uh, because for a long time, I had just been planning to write about um, George Koval because I found that fact like very early on when I moved up here. And I was like, oh, that'd be interesting to write about this when there's a good, you know, like anniversary or like time peg for it. Um, and so I'm glad I waited until Oppenheimer came out and then, you know, the anniversaries of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, because I did not know about the Ernest Lawrence, uh, stuff and him actually being from the area. So I'm glad I waited for that. So I, I had been kicking that around for a while. And in terms of like, you know, obviously I can't really talk to anyone that even knew some of these people directly because of how long ago it was. So it was a lot of digging through, um, old Sioux City Journal articles, cause there were plenty about both of them which is always fun because people played so much more fast and loose with the uh, newspaper writing back then. A lot of things that just aren't attributed to anyone in terms of information or quotes, um, you know, no, no bylines and some of that. Some of them, it was hard to tell if it was AP or if it was a local story, which is always fun. Interesting. Um, so there's digging through that. And then um, because of how long ago um, George Koval was a spy and the government was looking into him, you can actually find the FBI files for them. Like they're declassified. You don't need like a FOIA or anything to look through those. And those are several thousand pages. And there's, you know, hundreds of references to Sioux City and like old photos of him with like unknown girlfriends and stuff like that. And then I even got to rifle through some uh, CIA files too about some stuff. Nice. Outstanding. Yeah. Outstanding stuff. So, yeah. And like there wasn't necessarily a lot of overlap between the two. But there were a few points that really, I think, kind of helped move things along and made it a compelling read and a good compare and contrast between the two guys. Because they were both, they both yeah. were like men of science, but one of them just ended up also becoming a, a spy. Right. But isn't that interesting in its own right that these two guys from the same area 
um, similarly involved in this in, in incredibly important moment of time and that there wasn't a ton of overlap between them. I mean, I mean, that's, that's kind of interesting in its own way. No, it, yeah, it definitely is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if you haven't yet, um, you absolutely have to go check out Jared's story. It's on the Sioux City Journal uh, website. Uh, definitely worth your time. All right. I think that does it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, tell your friends and subscribe to us wherever you find your podcasts. And now that you've listened to the On Iowa Politics podcast, make sure you're also subscribed to the On Iowa Politics newsletter, where every morning in your inbox, you'll receive all the latest politics and government coverage from our team. You can subscribe to that free newsletter at the Gazette's website, thegazette.com. And lastly, don't forget that the work of everyone you heard here today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Muscatine Journal, Cedar Rapids Gazette, Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, Mason City Globe Gazette, Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil, and the Sioux City Journal. We'll see you out at the State Fair. In the meantime, the Surf Zombies will play us out this week. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be featured on the podcast, please send us a sound file. For Tom Barton, Caleb McCullough, Jared McNett, Todd Dorman, and our producer, Stephen Colbert, I'm Aaron Murphy. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast.
Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.